funny things that you find up at the pulpit. <laughs> that was probably my son. If you want to read with me, we're turning to Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 7, first of all, and into 1 Thessalonians 2 after that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And then turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. First Thessalonians 2, 8 says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good to see your faces. Um, as Thomas mentioned, it's that time of year where uh, we have to start putting out extra seats. So you'll notice if you're in the middle section, you don't have the leg room you used to have. Um, get used to that because um, it's a good problem, isn't it? Beautiful problem to have. Um, that's right. Um, aye, that's a wonderful thing to be gathered in the body, with the body. Uh, as we found out a, a few weeks ago, um, the, it's the place where God's presence is most manifested. Um, it's pretty amazing. Um, if you've been around for... Um, uh, well, if you don't know who I am, my name is Jonathan, I'm one of the pastors here. If you've been around for a few weeks, um, you'll have noticed that we have, there's been quite a few of us, uh, can, you've had different faces up here preaching. Um, that's not an, an abnormal thing, it's pretty normal for us um, to have uh, one of our different elders teaching. Um, but Lucas normally does the bulk of our teaching, so if just a little update on him. If you, if you don't know yet, Lucas um, was, has been diagnosed with cancer in his uh, mouth and, and throat. Um, he had his CT scan that he was, we were waiting on uh, this past week, and tomorrow um, he has that meeting that we've been praying he would get for this, this coming Monday. Um, he's going to meet with that team of doctors, uh, the kind of head and neck team, to uh, go over what the next kind of few months, uh, etc., will be um, kind of a treatment plan for him. So um, keep praying for him. Um, the Lord has just been answering prayers uh, left, right, and center for us, um, for him, for other people. Um, it's just a, a real time that we've been crying out, and he's been listening to his children cry and responding. It's been a pretty, pretty sweet time so far. Um, keep praying for, for us as a staff as well, if you would. Um, the next few months could be um, a little bit more of a wild ride, but um, we're going to approach them with joy, with confidence in what Jesus has promised, that he has promised to build his church, that not even the gates of hell can prevail against them. Um, if Lucas was standing up here, he would want you to know that we've purposefully arranged village, so it's not built on him, on one person. Well, it's built on one person, but that is Jesus, um, that he's the one uh, who is the foundation of all we do here. So, um, Sickness, no matter what, we're going to keep trusting that the Lord's going to do uh, mighty things in our midst. 
Um, we're currently in uh, a little short five-week series looking at our, our values that we have as a community. Um, five-week series is pretty short for us. Um, normally, the kind of preaching we do here is more expository preaching, so we will generally take a whole book of the Bible or a big chunk of passage and teach our way through it, kind of chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Um, so we just came out of looking at the whole book of Ecclesiastes. Um, we find that that's the normal kind of preaching we do because it's, we find it's the kind of most faithful way to, to preach the scriptures, the safest way. You don't get to like skip over those tricky verses that you don't want to hear. And we want to get the whole breadth of what this living, breathing, um, alive word of God has for us. Um, but if you've been around for a few weeks, that's, we've been doing more kind of topical uh, teaching, which is okay as well. It's nothing, that's not heresy. Um, but it's just not what we're necessarily used to. Uh, but don't worry, we're going to get more into um, kind of the big chunk stuff. Um, so we're looking at our five uh, family, oh, sorry, this is a five-week series looking at our ten values. Um, I want to, before we move on, I, I think it's important to note that these values are not necessarily the definition of, of what makes a Christian church a Christian church. Um, so they're, they're not necessarily the, the total foundation of what it means to be a church. Um, if you will, open your Bibles to Ephesians 2. You should be very familiar with this passage because we've been in it a lot. We kind of keep bouncing back into it for some reason. Um, Ephesians 2, uh, start in verse 12. This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesians. These are Gentiles. They're non-Jews. They're, they're not um, part of that kind of covenant promise that God made a promise to Abraham that, that his, his uh, descendants would be uh, the Lord's people. So they're kind of outside of that covenant. And what Paul does here is he describes what it means. He describes the gospel. So we're going to talk about the gospel a lot today. This is what it is. This is what it means to, for you to be a people uh, of God's presence. Um, so verse uh, 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Probably the like worst verse in the Bible, maybe. Um, but it gets better. So verse 13, I'm going to make a couple like uh, emphasis. So pay attention to the, to the things I'm emphasizing. Um, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near, how? By the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the hostility, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the laws of commandments <coughs> expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility that was due to us. Verse 17, And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Amen. Hallelujah. Verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, verse 21, in whom, in Christ, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
So Paul makes it perfectly kind of crystal clear what it means to be a people of God, a, a certain, um, what makes a certain people a church. So it's, it's in Christ Jesus, it's, it's by his blood, it's he himself in his flesh. He might create in himself, reconcile us to God through the cross. It's, it's through him that we have access. It's in, in whom, in him, in him, in him. This is Paul's favorite way to describe a Christian. It's those who are in him. Um, so what makes a church a church? Jesus does, okay? What, what, what he's accomplished on our behalf on the cross, uh, blood being shed, it's, it's when we are in him, it's through him that we have gained access to the Father, that we are being joined together, uh, being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And that's what makes, that's a church, a church is a church, it's, that's a definition of a Christian church. So on the other hand, so these values that we're, that we're talking about are, are born out of that truth, that gospel. Um, so they are uh, biblical uh, um, values, so we're still preaching the, the, the Bible, but they're informed by that gospel. They are informed by Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what he taught during his time on earth, what the Spirit has taught us through the, the prophets and the apostles in the Bible, okay? So in that way, they're, they're biblically based, but they're not necessarily all-encompassing of what it means to be a church. Does that make sense? So these values are, they're, they're 10 cultures that we just want to continue to seek to develop um, in our church family. So it means that if we were, if we're a church in Shanghai or, or Istanbul, or if we were a church here in Belfast but 40 years ago, then I reckon some of the things, some of the cultures that we would decide to be really intentional about developing might be slightly different. Um, some of them would probably be the exact same, but some of them might uh, vary depending on uh, our time and culture. But for where we are right now here, Belfast 2018, these are the cultures that we would just love to see be completely natural in how we operate as a church family. Does that make sense? Okay. Let's pray before we move on. Father, we, we thank you um, for the truth of the gospel. We thank you that um, you didn't leave us um, separated from Christ without hope in the world, um, strangers, aliens to you, uh, but you sent your son uh, to be the way for us, to, to, to come near again, uh, to be your people. Um, how amazing is that? Uh, we thank you, Jesus, for, um, for doing that for us. Um, I just pray um, what Paul's prayed in 1 Corinthians and that as we sit here right now, um, for me, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. That describes me. And then Paul says, and my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Um, Spirit, we ask for your help that that would happen here now and that we would not learn um, based on my wisdom, my lofty words, uh, but by what you have for us, that you would speak, that you would open our hearts, that the the wisdom uh, that you give us is not a human, a worldly wisdom, but but a wisdom that's from you that we understand because you let us understand. Um, so come, Spirit, we depend on you. We ask you to speak to us. In Jesus' name.
Is this okay? Is this cutting in and out? We okay? We bet? Give me a sign if it does. Um, so today we're looking at, uh, we'll spend the bulk of our time on our value of gospel intentionality. We'll spend nearly the whole sermon on that. And then we're going to touch on uh, sacrificial living and generosity because it's really, uh, it's kind of born out of gospel intentionality. Um, one of the things that you'll notice about these 10 values is how much they, they overlap and are intertwined together. So Thomas covered church's family um, in week one of this, and that was really on purpose. So we wanted to start with church's family because it's such a huge part of the way we understand what it means to be the church. So the church is not <coughs> an institution. It's not a, a building. It's not a series of programs. The church is a family. Um, we, we didn't make church's family up as like a cute little tagline that we put on the end of like hashtags and stuff like that. It's actually what the Bible teaches us, okay? So I'm going to recap a couple things. I'm not going to reteach his sermon, but uh, gospel intentionality is so intertwined with church's family, I need to reemphasize a couple things. So just as we read there in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says that you're no longer strangers, you're no longer aliens, rather it's through Jesus that you are now members of the family of God, the household of God. So he says that you all of you are brothers and your sisters, your, your sons and your daughters. You are co-heirs along with Christ, which is incredible. You're the family of God. Um, turn over to Romans 12. What Paul has for us in Romans 12 is he talks about the marks of a true Christian. Um, and he says in verse 10, read verse, uh, we're going to read uh, verse 10 to verse 13. It says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Verse 10, love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the saints, uh, to the needs of the saints and show I seek to show hospitality. So he, but verse 10 says, to love one another with a brotherly affection. So the word he uses for love there is a love that's specific, that's, that's reserved for blood brothers and sisters. Okay? Um, so, so you've been brought out of darkness into the light. You've been brought into the family of God, and you have been made into brothers and sisters. And you're to, to understand that in a way that is, that is different from the way you understand family in the past. Okay, it's not, it's not uh, uh, because your, your, your family that you all have is, is an earthly family. It's a temporary family. But he's saying, I want you to understand that you're brothers and sisters in a way that is eternal. It's very significant. So you, you're, you're part of a family um, that's an earthly family. So me and Jenny, we have three kids. We have a boy and two girls. We love them uh, so much. They're, they're, they mean a lot to us, obviously. Um, but the, one of the things that we prayed uh, when our first one, Abraham, was born, was that the Lord would always, don't let us forget that these kids aren't ours, okay? Uh, a lot of times we can, like, place our children in, on a pedestal. They're the center of our family. They're just like our temporary visitors. We are their mom and dad. It's what a privilege, but it's just for a time. We are their kind of earthly, temporary uh, guardians, and our job as their temporary family is to introduce them to God's family, 
And because it's it, through Jesus, we enter into the family of God, and it's, it's not a temporary earthly family. It's a family that never ends. It's an eternal family that you'll be a part of. It's incredible. Um, Thomas mentioned this uh, uh, at the beginning. And remember when Jesus was preaching in Matthew 12, and the man comes up to Jesus and he says, uh, excuse me, Jesus, your mother and your father are here to see you. And Jesus turns to him and he says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he turns to, and he points to his disciples and he says, it's, it's actually those who do the will of the father that are my family. And I, I don't think he's disregarding or disrespecting his mother. Okay? She's very important to him. You see this, kind of his dying words is to make sure that his mother's taken care of. Okay? He's a big, I think Jesus was all in on the Ten Commandments to honor your father and mother. You're, it's, you're, love them, you're part of that family for a reason. But what Jesus is saying is, he's saying, listen, I've come to make a way into a new family, a family that's not temporary, but a family that's last forever. Um, and we started with that because once you really grasp that, that church is a forever family, then the rest of these values start to really make more sense and you see how they link together, like gospel intentionality. So um, it should be on the screen there, our little blurb on gospel intentionality. Is it? Cool. So it says, throughout the New Testament, we read of the early church being guided in the ways of gospel-based relationships. That, that should sound familiar to you. Over and over again, there is this language of one another, love one another, accept one another, strengthen one another, confess your sins to one another, admonish one another. There's 59 one another's in, in the New Testament. This language of one another shows us the importance of being deliberate with each other and living out the gospel in our lives. So, gospel-based relationships. Um, we're talking about church's family again, okay? We're talking about brothers and sisters. We have relationships that are gospel-centered, that are gospel-informed, gospel-shaped. This is our mission statement, so most of you should be able to like, just know our mission statement. So Village Church desires to be a gospel-shaped community, gospel-shaped people, people who love God, love each other, love our, love our city, Belfast, as we join God in the room of all things. So we're a community, we're a family, and those relationships are not based on biology, but they're based on something much greater, something that the truth of the gospel, they're, they're gospel-based relationships. Um, so Christians are, these are two kind of key principles to understand uh, the way we operate as a church. Um, Christians are called to this dual fidelity of, firstly, everything we do, whether it's, it's welcoming people into our doors here or at home, um, or me standing up here to preach, or the way we disciple one another, or whether you're uh, at home rocking a baby back to sleep at 2 a.m., or you're out at a dirty venue playing a gig until 2 a.m., all of these things, everything we do, the way we live should be defined by the gospel. Okay? It's the core content of all we do. Um, so gospel is, is one of the um, principles that we understand the way church operates, um, so this is, it's really a shift away from the gospel being the ABCs uh, of the Christian life. So they're the, the first steps that you take in becoming a Christian. They're like the baby steps. And then you move, you move on to, to, to meatier things, to more important things. No, rather we actually embrace the gospel as the A to Z, the whole uh, encompassing what it means to be God creating a new humanity. Okay, so um, Tim Keller says that the gospel is not only the way we enter into the kingdom, it's actually the way to live as part of the kingdom. 
The gospel defines everything we do. It's the core content. It, de- it, it defines all we do. The other principle is community, okay? So the core content is the gospel. The core context to the way we actually operate is your new life is a life that is part of a family. It's Christian community. I think a lot of people love the idea of this. You're part of a family. Church is family. We're community. Um, but a lot of people have a hard time fully buying into it, to, to fully understanding it. Because it's, it's difficult to understand this because it goes against everything that our Western culture teaches us or tells us about identity. Um, the, the rest of the world um, actually tends to think this way. When you, when, you, when you ask the question, who am I? Which is a question all of us will, will ask ourselves in our life. The rest of the world answers it with familiness of you're, you're part of a people. But for most Westerners, it's a, start, it's a strange starting place because we tend to see ourselves less in role identities of being part of a people, more in terms of dispositional identities, such as like character traits and behavioral tendencies. So the question, who am I, becomes a question that we are encouraged to like carve out for ourselves. We're, we're encouraged to, uh, to find or to create the answer to that question ourselves. But an identity that we construct for ourselves is far removed from an identity that you are given by grace. And so churches are full of people who try to earn their identity or or prove their worth, but the key defining uh, relationship for Christians is our relationship with God, okay? So the question, who am I? The answer to that is, I'm a child of God. I'm, I'm the bride of Christ. I'm the dwelling place of the Spirit. And this identity is, is given to you by grace. Okay, do you understand this biblical way of thinking about identity? It's not something you create for yourself. It's something that is given to you by grace. And the Bible also show, shows us that we are communal creatures. Okay, you are created to uh, love God and created to love other people. This is why uh, um, loneliness hurts so bad because you weren't created to be alone. You're created to be uh, in community, loving God, loving other people. Um, look at how God created humanity in the very beginning. So in Genesis 1, you see God. Um, how does he, how does he uh, create things those first few days? He speaks. He speaks words of commands. Let there be light. Light. Let there be, let vegetation sprout up. Vegetation sprouts up. Um, let, uh, let, uh, um, um, let the earth bring forth living creatures, animals, okay? But when, he comes, when it comes to him creating humanity, he stops speaking words of commands and he begins to um, engage in conversation. He says, let us make man in our image. Isn't that beautiful? It's different from before. It's conversational, it's communal. It, it, it shows us that God is social rather than a solitary being. It also means that, that his image cannot be born just by a single individual, but rather by man and woman. He says, let us create man in our, imi- in our image, and he says, and he creates them, male and female, he created them. So he says that the only thing uh, in all creation that is not good is when you are alone, when, when Adam is on his own, a person in isolation. You're not meant to live in isolation. You're, you're meant to be a person in community. In fact, you cannot be who you are without regard to other people. 
And this is true of the whole world. This is how everyone was created. But especially when you become a Christian, it means that you now belong to God. And it also means that you belong to your brothers and sisters. Okay? It's not that you become, you become a, a, a Christian, you belong to Christ, and then you decide to join a local church. No, rather you, being in Christ means uh, being in Christ with those others who are also in Christ. This is the identity that you are given this is our identity. It's family. You are a people now. You're a community. You're a gospel-shaped community. And I want to look at that word community, how the New Testament uses this word. So it's a, the Greek word for community is koinonia, which I probably butchered. Um, but it's linked with words, uh, with the words common, with the words sharing, with the words participation. So here's a few examples on the screen. Second um, Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship, the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We are in community with the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful by whom we are called into the fellowship, into the koinonia of the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It means we are in community, in koinonia with the Son. 1 Thessalonians 2.8, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. Being in community, having koinonia, means sharing our lives with each other. Acts 4.32, this is a popular one. Uh, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and of soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his own. But they had everything in common in koinonia. So being in, in community means that you don't, you don't think of your things as your things, but you share your property. Philippians 1.5, because of your partnership, because of the, your, the, your koinonia in the gospel from the first day until now, means we, we actually share in the gospel. It's ours. 1 Peter 4.13, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory revealed. Being a community means sharing Christ's suffering and glory together. 1 Corinthians 10.16-17, Paul says, uh, the, the cup of blessing that we bless is not a, a participation, a, ko- a koinonia in the blood of Christ, the blood that we break, is it not a participation, a, a community, a, a koinonia in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we partake of the one bread. So this is what we do every week. We, we celebrate uh, our community life. We, we reinforce it in communion, in the breaking of the bread and, and, and of, of wine. We participate, we koinonia together in the body and the blood of Christ. You see, this is what you've been called into. Um, you see just how central community and participation and commonness and, and uh, togetherness was to the New Testament church? How all-encompassing of life it was? It's not just something, um, it's not just part of your life. It's your whole life. It's who you are. Um, listen to how Paul writes uh, of the church in, in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. I don't think that's on the screen. And he says, for what is our hope or, or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord at his coming? Is it not you? You are our glory and joy. 
See how Paul feels about the church? Like his whole, um, Paul's investment uh, in the future was the church. His, his future is bound up with them and their progress in the faith. Paul's, Paul's life is completely bound up with the church, his community of brothers and sisters. It's everything to him. It, it's not part of his life. It is his life. Um, on the screen, go to the next one. Here's two pictures. Um, the one on your left here, it's an image of, of the way uh, Westerners tend to think of life. So what you have is the, the prevailing life here is that of an individual. He's standing on, on his or her own in the middle, very busy, which is good. We, it's a lot of honor in being really busy. How are you? I'm really busy, which is good. Um, and and the, the prevailing life is them juggling all the different responsibilities in their life. So you have family, friendships, career, free time, leisure, money, all these things that you're juggling in life. And from time to time, the pressures of life overcome and you maybe drop one of the balls. And, and, and all too often, church becomes one of the things that you're juggling Okay, so we juggle our responsibilities in church, which often becomes our, you coming, your, your um, attendance to our gathering or your attendance to your missional community. So we juggle these just as we juggle all the other responsibilities in our life. A more biblical view of your life is this one. It's, uh, it's um, all the various activities and responsibilities are, are spokes on a wheel. And, and at the center or the hub of your life is not you as an individual juggling all the things. It's us as members of a Christian community. And everything else flows out of this community. The, the center of life is a gospel-shaped community of people, church, persons in community. Church is not a meeting you attend. It's not a place you enter. It's not another ball you're juggling It's an identity that is ours in Christ. Listen to that. You are the church. You are the bride of Christ. You are a royal priesthood being sent out into the world together to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and to usher in the kingdom of God. Isn't that amazing? Our identity as Christians is defined by the gospel and community. Gospel-shaped community. Relationships that are not based on the gospel, just but relationships that actually work out the gospel, that, that are deliberate, that are intentional with all parts of our life and living out the gospel is what we're all called to do. And very often, it's, we tend to think that there are um, different kind of classes of Christians in the churches in there. So there's, you have the, like, the elite, the, the, the like professional ones. And these are the, the people who go to conferences and um, maybe one day write a book about what it means to be a Christian. Um, they preach, they, they do the work of evangelism and discipleship. And then there's uh, the ordinary people, the lay people. And lay people come and they receive of these things from the professional ones. Uh, and if you're very brave, you might even invite someone else into that to receive of these things. Listen, um, that is complete unbiblical nonsense, if you think that way. Um, now, Paul did say that there were certain offices, there are certain leaders that were given to the church, but he doesn't say that they are the ones who do all the work. If you're still in Ephesians, go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 
This verse is hugely important. And Paul's telling us how Jesus, who is the head of the church, he's the creator of the church, he's the cornerstone, the center of it all, he's telling us how he designed the church to operate. And this is Jesus' vision of how the church works. Verse 11, Ephesians 4, says, and, and he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the pastors, the teachers, to do what? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So church leaders do the work of, of equipping the saints, the believers, but it's, but it's actually they, the, the everyday believers, who actually do the work of gospel ministry. So the primary way that the, the, the gospel will be proclaimed to the world, to every people group on, on earth, is not through professional, like, elite Christians, which doesn't even actually exist in the first place, but through ordinary people. The truth is that we're all called to be ministers. We're all called to be disciple makers. We're called to, be, to fulfill the Great Commission. We're called to share the gospel with people, to make disciples, to go forth. This is the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. You should know this if you're a Christian. Go therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Okay? This is Jesus' message that I'm about to go. Here's what I want you to do. Every disciple of Jesus is commissioned to make disciples, to, to teach others to obey all that Jesus commanded. This, doesn't, this is going to look differently for, for a lot of us. Okay? So not everyone is called to move to Africa to do this. Okay? Okay? Some of us will stay Discipleship is costly, okay? It is surrender, so we go where he tells us to go. But for most of us, it means that it, it will mean staying right here where you are, being on mission, making disciples right here in your very own neighborhood. We're told you're, you're a royal priesthood. This is important. It's incredible. You're a royal priesthood. You're being sent out into the, to the world to, to spread the good news, to make disciples, for some of you, it will, it will be going somewhere to do that. But for most of you, it will be staying right where you are, digging in, and doing this in everyday life. And a, a few of us will be called to be pastors. A few of us will be trained up to be missional community leaders. But all of us are called to go into the world and to spread the gospel. The big question is, what does it look like to do that? Go back, yeah, look at this model again. Okay, so um, with ins instead of the church being just another ball that you're trying to juggle and fit into your life, okay, you have church at the center of your community. It's the hub of life. It's, it's the center of your life and everything else. Um, all the other activities and responsibilities are informed by what? The gospel and community, okay? The gospel being the core content that defines how you do those things and the community, the, the, the Christian community being the context, to how, the way we actually work these things out. Okay? So what does it mean about your everyday gospel ministry? It means that the Great Commission isn't just one of the things that you're trying to, to fit into your life. Got to go to work. Got to get the kids ready for school. Also got to fulfill the Great Commission. No, it's the Great Commission is everything you do. Okay? 
all the other aspects of your life, going to work, going to school, going to the pub, all these things are your ministry now. And here's what Tim Chester and um, Steve Timmis says. And if you haven't read, read the, the book Total Church, it's a really important church to um, when we first planted Village and what we wanted it to look like. They say, the bedrock of gospel ministry is low-key, ordinary, day-to-day work, which often goes unseen. Most gospel ministry involves ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Read it again. The bedrock of gospel ministry is low-key, ordinary, day-to-day work, which often goes unseen. Not necessarily what's up here you come to receive. No, the, the, the bedrock of ministry is what goes unseen, ordinary, day-to-day. Most gospel ministry involves ordinary people, all of us, doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. So what are some of the things you do every single day? I'm asking you. Someone, what's something you do every day? Work, okay? Most of you go to work every day, okay? So what does it look like to, to go to work, something we all do, but to do it with, inten- with gospel intentionality? The good news of Jesus in your heart, always on the, the, the tip of your tongue, always on your mind, okay? So um, what does it look like to be uh, a teacher who... Um, has a husband and has uh, a couple kids, okay? So their, their day, you, you wake up, you get breakfast for everyone, um, you get the kids dressed, you brush teeth, um, all the while doing the same thing for yourself somehow, um, drop the kids off at school, head to work, work hard, nine to five, come home, make dinner, maybe play a little bit, and then go to bed. Put the kids to bed, maybe have a couple hours to yourself. That's a pretty normal day, all normal life. But how do you approach all of those ordinary things, not in isolation, but in community, and doing each of them with gospel intentionality? How do you get your kids ready for school with gospel intentionality? Bringing the gospel to bear in that very ordinary, sometimes very frustrating situation. Okay, very normal, very ordinary, seemingly insignificant but, it, but it's there in the ordinary that we get to be ministers of grace and bring about the renewal of the world. Um, go on a run. I always, I've bumped into Richard once, him on a run. How do you go on a run with gospel intentionality? Normal thing, okay? Do you always run alone? Is it, is it your, or are you looking on way, for ways to advance the kingdom in this very ordinary thing? And my initial reaction is, like, some of the introverts are like, this seems terrible. <laughs> I always have to be with people. I all, like, no, I'm not saying that. Like, go for a run on your own. If, that, if that's what you do, if, that's, if you need to clear your mind, Jesus went on his own. It's a very good thing for you to do. But with the majority of your life, how do you do these things with gospel intentionality? Go out to eat, okay? Good thing, fun, ordinary thing to do. But... But how are you speaking to the person waiting on your table? Um, how are, are you intentional with the way you're speaking to them? Are you, are you uh, treating them like an image bearer of God? Are you looking at them in the eyes when you order? Or are you just, this is a person taking my order? How generous of a tip are you leaving? All these things informed by 
the gospel by what the Lord has done for us. Thomas said, we've received this unbelievable generosity of, Lord. We're gonna, of the Lord. We're going to let that flow out into our lives as well. Um, they may seem like pretty insignificant things, but the way of the kingdom is to do these insignificant things, but with gospel intentionality. So whether you're going to the cinema, whether you're working at the office, whether you're helping a friend move, doing these things with gospel intentionality means always a commitment to building relationships, building gospel-shaped community, and always modeling the Christian faith. Everything you do is going to be informed by the gospel, and always talking about the gospel as a natural part in conversation. Is talking about the gospel just a natural part of what you do, or is it something that is weird and you're going to have to like figure out how to do? And for most of the world, it's like this. Why are, you, why are you at the pub talking about how Jesus' love changed your life? But for the Christian, who the gospel, they have the gospel as the core content to all they do, and the Christian community as the core context to the way they live out their life, it'd, it'd actually be incredibly weird for them not to do that. It'd be incredibly weird for you to, to go to the pub for a couple hours and to not speak of the gospel. Um, I asked for uh, our leaders for a couple examples of the way this is doing, and, and Andrew sent me a text, and he says, Tim and I, uh, when we uh, go to their kind of local pub, uh, they do it with, on purpose, and there's, there's two older guys, Karen and Jerry. You've probably heard their names before as he's talked about them, and they will listen to them when no one else will listen to them. They, they will pray for them when no one else will. They're sharing Jesus' love with them. And actually, Elder, he's like, it's just, a, it's just a pint, so I don't know if it's worth mentioning. And I was like, that's the whole point. It's just a pint. It's just a normal thing, ordinary thing. But because we're a community of people who are shaped by the good news of the gospel, we do this seemingly insignificant thing, but with gospel intentionality. It's, it's there where the kingdom breaks in. Does that make sense? Can you, can you begin to see how this changes everything? How everything in your life becomes purposeful, becomes beautiful, becomes gospel-centered. And again, Romans 12, Paul gives those marks of a true Christian. And one of them he specifically points out is those who uh, pursue hospitality. Hospitality is a big part of what, of what you do. Um, are you known for being generous in your hospitality? All of you. I'm asking all of you. It should be yes. All of us. It should be the mark of, of, of who you are. And these, these marks that, that Paul gives are not like the optional part. There's a lot of like um, freedom and creativity in how we do gospel ministry. But he says um, this model, um, some of the spokes will like vary in your life. But Paul says no matter what you do, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a doctor, whether you are a stay-at-home parent, all of these things, you're going to do them with gospel intentionality, and these are the qualities that you're going to have, okay? So um, whatever you do, the world's going to look at us and say, they really love one another with a brotherly affection. They always outdo one another in showing honor. They rejoice in hope. They're very patient in their tribulation and their suffering, 
They're constantly looking outside of themselves to meet other people's needs. They're always finding ways that they can show, extend hospitality. And here's our our blurb on uh, sacrificial living and generosity. It says, in understanding the abundant sacrificial generosity of God, we want to be a community, a people who are generous with our whole lives. This includes time, resources, talents, abilities, money, etc., etc. Jesus calls us to live a life of radical difference. In a world marked by consumption, we are seeking to be to build a community of countercultural generosity. You see how this overlaps with gospel intentionality? It's just like a, a way to do it. Um, we, we want to be a community who are generous, not sometimes, not with some of our things, but with everything, every part of our life. Our time, resources, our free time, when I go to work, when I'm off work. And we do this because we are, again, grounded in the gospel. We understand the abundant, sacrificial generosity of God. And we are these things because he is them to us. And sacrificial living and generosity does not come natural to us, does it? Because the cry of our hearts is me, mine. But when we are rooted in community, rooted in community that is, that is grounded in the gospel, when we understand that we have been brought into a family, a community, and that that is our identity, being a people for his possession, then everything changes. Um, it, changes, it changes the way you operate your home. So it changes the way you interact with your neighbors. So home in, in this way of life becomes stewardship. It becomes the place where you do ministry. Do you, do you see your home like this? Or do you see your home as a place of ownership? A place that's, that's yours. That's my castle. That's where I escape at the end of the day. Things you do for fun become ministry. Barbecues, um, birthday parties, holidays, everything. Um, Sue's great at this. She's, she befriended a, a, a Muslim family. Um, but she's actually befriended them. You know, she, she serves them food. And she, they share looking after their children. She serves them. And, and it's there in the ordinary that she's able to, to share the gospel, to, to have spiritual conversations, to have the gospel on the tip of her tongue in a, in a real natural way to explain her life. That's how you share the, the tangible love of Jesus. And Lucas said that they came the other day to visit him while he's sick and they told him that they were like family to them. That's, that's, that's significant for a Muslim family to say to a Christian family, you're like our family. The, the way the Lord is going to, to work in their lives is through ordinary means. Ordinary Sue doing ordinary things, but with gospel intentionality. Um, it's, it's, I was talking to another uh, brother of ours that had a, was having a conversation with his boss. Uh, the boss knows Lucas and, and hey, how's he doing? I, I, that's really scary. Really, ah, oh, really, that's a really bad situation. And this brother was able to to have that conversation, a normal conversation, but with gospel intentionality and, and just to naturally share the gospel of like, actually, he's not that scared. Um, he actually believes that, that the Lord has purpose in all things 
that the Lord is in control. And uh, he's telling me that as he's having a conversation, the boss is like, <laughs> okay, kind of back, like, but it's, it's in those very ordinary, normal ways that we bring about, um, we, we get to be ministers of grace and, and bring about renewal in our world. This is basically the philosophy of ministry that we have here at Village. Um, if, if you were to ask, what's your strategy for evangelism in the city? What's, what's, um, how are you reaching the lost? What does discipleship look like in your church? Ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. So we're not um, super program driven here, okay? As we continue to grow in size, certain structures might continue to develop. But in that, our master plan for reaching the world is ordinary people doing ordinary things but with gospel intentionality. Um, read the gospels. This is how Jesus did ministry. Jesus. <laughs> the bulk of his discipleship Nearly all the ministry he did took place where? Walking on the side of the road with his disciples, um, having a meal around a table, having a conversation with someone he met at the well, the water fountain. Um, It's cooking his friends breakfast on the side of the sea. This is Jesus' ministry, the way he, he, he was um, introducing the kingdom to us. Ordinary things. Not necessarily an ordinary person doing ordinary things, but um, is, you can see the model there. Just as we close, um, turn over to Deuteronomy 6. You'll see that the title of this section in most of your Bibles is The Greatest Commandment. And it's the, the, the words of the Lord given to the, the nation of Israel. Um, so he's made Israel his people. They are to be in community with him now. And this is how they were, um, they were to live as the people of God. Even fast forward to the Gospels when Jesus is asked, hey Jesus, which of the, all of those commandments is the greatest? He says, this is the one. Um, he quotes this, and he says, this is the most important one. Live like this. Verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. Not just in your head, but on your heart. Hang them there. And verse 7 You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down at night, when you rise up in the morning. Jesus is saying that that this is the way I want you to live your life as the people of God. With with the love that, that God has shown you on your heart. And I want the good news, the gospel, to ever be on your lips. If, has, it, has it filled your heart? Or is it just, yeah, I know that. It's not going to come on your, out of your mouth. It's the abundance of the heart the lips speak. It's the, it's the good news of the gospel. Has it filled your heart? It's not going to if you're on your own. It will if you're in community. He says, I want it to fill your heart and to ever be on your lips. Talk about it with your children. Talk about it in your home 
Talk about it when you're walking down the road, when you're at work, when you're going to bed, when you wake up in the morning. Whatever you do, all these ordinary things, may they be shaped by that good news that I've come, I've made a way, that I've died for you, I've shed my blood for you, my body was broken for you. And through that, you're part of the, you're part of the kingdom now, you're part of the family, you're part of the people. Let that news that should wreck you, should fill your heart with joy, let that define everything that you do in your life. I brought you from death to life, from darkness into a marvelous light. Now, in light of that, go and live your life normally, but make disciples along the way. Do it together, okay? Let's stand and pray. And as, as Paul said, we celebrate this community every week here. Paul didn't say that, but we do. And we do this every week by celebrating the koinona, the community that we have, the life that we share in breaking the bread that symbolizes Christ's body being broken for us, by dipping it in wine, his blood poured out for us by remembering the good news of the gospel, by doing this together in community, in koinonia, sharing, participating in this together, it's one of the ways that's going to remind you to have it on your heart. It's incredible, incredible news. So we're going to do that. If you, this is for the body of Christ, for those who know that good news. So if that's you, come forward, share it with each other. And... If, that, if you aren't in Christ, as Paul would say, if you haven't accepted him yet, um, we ask you to accept him today before doing this. Um, Jesus, we love you. We thank you for being the way. And we just confess that somehow that becomes mundane to us. Um, and we're sorry. Um, Lord, we live our lives often for ourselves. Um, but help us to remember in this moment, Lord, what you've done for us. The amazing news that you've brought us from death to life. From being exiles, being strangers, without hope in the world. And you've brought us into your family to be a people for your presence, for your possession. Um, so Lord, and we thank you for this meal. Um, we ask that you would um, not only um, have us taste it in our mouths, but push it down into our hearts, Lord, the truth of the gospel, and help us to live it out every day in our lives. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.